Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. Welcome, and uh, it is just so great to be kicking off this new sermon series, Jesus is in the House. And a special welcome to Kingsgate, Cambridge, to Leicester, to London, and to all of those at Cafe Church. It's great to have you here uh, with us today. So what a great statement of faith. Jesus is in the house. Why don't we just celebrate that fact here today? He's not coming. He's already here by the power of his Holy Spirit. And because of that truth, over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking what it is to be a house of purity, a house of prayer, a house of power, and a house of praise. And today, I'm going to be looking at uh, the house of purity, based on the story from Matthew 21, when Jesus cleared the temple. So I don't know what you did over this recent bank holiday weekend, a very hot and muggy weekend it was too, but Dave and I had made a commitment to one another that we were going to clear our garage. Now, it's a job that we've been putting off literally for probably a couple of years, I'm uh, sorry to tell you. You know, the, the autumn would come, we'd say we'd do it then, and then we never got around to it. We'd say, oh, we'll put it off till the spring, and then spring would come, we'd put it off to the summer, and then summer would come and we'd put it off to autumn and then uh, as the months went by the garage was getting more and more full of all kinds of stuff primarily my stuff I have to admit Um, a lot of you know I love running around junk shops and charity shops and to be quite honest the garage was beginning to look like a junk shop and a, a charity shop as I was kind of moving things rotating things in and out of the house anyway it got to the point where we almost couldn't physically get into the garage so it was like, right, we've got to do it. So anyway, the bank holiday uh, came and uh, it was so hot. We opened the door. We were so overwhelmed by the pile of stuff. We nearly kind of said, nah, it's just too lovely a day. But we were like, we cannot put this off. This place needs to be cleared. And so we got to work. Uh, we sorted out what needed to go to the care zone, what needed to go to the dump, and uh, what we were going to keep. And uh, although it was hot and hard, dirty and dusty, the end result was a great sense of satisfaction. 
So today we're going to be looking at a different type of cleansing. And as we've seen from the intro, Jesus arrived at his father's temple, at his father's house, and realized that it too needed a bit of clearing out. So let's pick the story up from Matthew 21, verse 12 and 13. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Now, just to set a little bit of context, there would have been thousands of pilgrims descending on Jerusalem to celebrate that Passover feast, one of the most sacred and celebrated uh, religious festivals in the Jewish calendar. Literally thousands of pilgrims would have come from far and wide to celebrate the, li the liberation of the Israelites uh, from out of Egypt uh, uh, under the, the mighty hand of Moses, as the story that we've been tracking with uh, over the summer. But when Jesus arrived at the temple, he found anything but a sacred and a holy place. Instead, he called it a den of robbers. Now, the fact is, is that there had to be money changers and there had to be traders selling uh, sacrificial animals and, and doves. The pilgrims, having traveled, uh, wouldn't have had the currency to pay the temple tax, so they needed money changers to help them do that. And also, they wouldn't have brought their sacrificial uh, animals and birds. Uh, so, in fact, the, the money changers and the traders were providing, on the face of it, quite a useful service. But what seemed to have angered Jesus so much was that instead of the traders staying out of the temple courts, they'd made their way in, into the outer courts of the temple where the Gentile uh, worshippers uh, wanted to come and uh, thank the Lord. Also, what seemed to be happening is that the money changers were, were charging an extortionate rate of interest. And so the pilgrims were being exploited, hence why Jesus called it a den of robbers. So imagine how Jesus felt when he arrived at that place, the place where the very holy presence of his father resided on the earth, not in a tent anymore, as in Moses' day, but in a physical temple. Imagine how he felt as he just surveyed the scene and all that was going on, that rather than a sacred and a holy place, it had been turned into a place of profanity and desecration. It was probably a similar feeling, in fact, to how Moses felt when he came down off the mountain and found the Israelites worshipping the golden calf that they'd made with their own hands. So once again, it seemed like the fickle state of man's heart had triumphed once again. And in that moment, 
an explosion of holy anger and holy righteousness just uh, was released from Jesus. And we see him single-handedly cleanse the whole place out in one fell swoop. And, uh, you know, commentators, some commentators say that that in itself was a supernatural miracle. How could one man have cleared out all of what was going on in the temple, literally, in in one moment? Other commentators uh, surmise that maybe... The traders actually knew that what they were doing was not right. Their conscience had been pricked. And so as soon as Jesus went in and made the move, they knew exactly what he meant. And they quickly packed up their stuff and went. Now, I've been to Jerusalem several times, and uh, the last time I was there was in 2017. And once again, I found myself standing before the, the Wailing or the Western Wall. It's the only part of the original rebuilt temple that's left. And so there I was, just literally standing in front of the, the wall, looking once again at these enormous stones, wondering how on earth it had been built, the magnificence of the actual structure made with physical human hands. Another thought that struck me was that here I was, standing in the very place where God himself had made himself present on the earth. And then I was struck with another thought, and that was that no longer was the Holy of Holies on the other side of the wall. The Holy of Holies is actually living in me. And I was so stunned at that revelation again. The Holy of Holies, here on the inside of me. What a privilege, what a responsibility. How amazing that God, so holy, so awesome, chooses now not to reside in a physical temple, but he chooses to come and dwell in us, his people. I was literally overwhelmed as I stood there. You know, 1 Peter 2 verse five says this, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this begs the question, If Jesus was concerned about a physical place, a physical temple being desecrated, being used for unholy, ignoble purposes, how much more is he gonna be concerned when he sees our house in which he lives, our bodies, our hearts, our minds, being exploited and polluted by the things of this world? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Individually, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Collectively, we are the temple, the church. So today we're gonna position ourselves for a little bit of a spiritual spring clean. Now, talking of cleaning, if you came to my house unexpectedly, on the face of it, you'd find a reasonably clean 
and tidy house. Well, well, if you came and I was in the house, you'd find a clean and tidy house. <laughs> if you turned up unexpectedly and Dave was in the house alone, you'd find on the surface a clean house, but probably not a very tidy house, because Dave's one of these people who just leaves a trail of debris behind him. I can track his movements uh, through the day when I come home. I'm like, oh, he's been, oh, oh yeah, I know what he's been. Um, anyway, <laughs> so if you arrived unexpectedly, reasonably clean and tidy, but... If you looked a little bit closer, the truth is you'd see dust, you'd see cobwebs, particularly at this time of year, you'd see a little bit of grime, you might open the fridge, find some out-of-date food. I found a moldy loaf of bread in the bread bin the other day, I literally pulled it out and it had all gone green, it was that, it was that bad. However, if I had invited you to my house, I think you'd find something slightly different because before you came, I would have tidied up, I would have cleaned up, I would have got the duster out, I would have hoovered, and I would have probably put some bleach down the loo and just kind of got it a little bit more acceptable because suddenly I am seeing my home, not through my, my own eyes, I'm seeing it through somebody else's eyes. And then your house takes on a whole different look. Miraculously, my eyes are opened and I see everything. Now, to give you another example, the day that, uh, well, we went to view the house that we're now living in about six years ago, and uh, we were wandering around the house, and I turned to Dave and I said, if we buy this house, the first thing that's going to go is that hideous light fitting on the landing. Well, we did buy the house, days went by, Weeks went by, months went by, and still the hideous light fitting on the landing was still hanging there. And the fact is, is that after a little while, I didn't even notice that it was there. It was still there, it was still hideous, but I had learned to live with it. So my question today is this. If Jesus is in the house, in me and in you, what proverbial dust or grime is he living with and is he looking at? Is he seeing any hideous light fittings hanging from the landing ceiling? Is there anything that we're accommodating in our hearts, in our minds, that could be causing Jesus anger, sorrow, grief, bewilderment? Let's remember, he is a holy, holy God. So, is there anything that we're living with that we've become so desensitized to, like I had to the, to the light fitting, that we don't even notice it anymore? Now, if that's the case, today we're gonna get the duster out, and we're gonna get the hoover out, and we're gonna get the steam cleaner out, and we're gonna just uh, reflect into our hearts and into our lives and just see, is there anything that needs clearing out? What kind of stuff might Jesus be looking at well, in Matthew 15, Jesus himself tells us that it's not what we put into our bodies that makes us unclean, but it's what comes out of our hearts that causes impurity, which then obviously can escalate into thoughts and to actions. So let's be bold and ask Jesus to purify our hearts. Now, there's a whole chapter given over to instructions for godly living in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul mirrors the list that Jesus gave in Matthew 15. 
And these are just some of the things that we might need cleansing from today. It's not an exhaustive list, but it is a very, very good starting point. So I'm going to read some of the verses from that chapter, from verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Verse 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So quite a list there. Now let me just be clear, uh, Paul was writing to the church in this instance. He wasn't writing, he wasn't addressing unbelievers. This was something that he was uh, specifically addressing to the church. And so I just want to say, if you're here today, it's your first time, maybe your first time in church ever, or your first time here in Kingsgate, maybe you're not a believer. Uh, I just want to say you are really welcome. We love having you here. And uh, today, you've just got a little bit of a, a window into our world that occasionally we have to spend some time just clearing the house out. So I just want you to feel welcomed and uh, at peace about that here today. And you can talk to someone after the service if there's any questions that you'd like to ask. Uh, we'd be delighted to answer them for you. So if you are a Christian, then that list, that list is for us. Let's not forget, okay? Uh, so is there anything in your heart that you need cleansing from today? Now, are we prepared to put our lives under the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit and allow Jesus to shine his light into our hearts? Now, I'm not asking you to do something that I have not done myself. And in fact, several months ago, when I knew that I was going to be speaking on this passage, I decided that I was going to have to live this message in a deeper way than ever before. Now, over the years, Dave and I have put ourselves, you know, literally under the discipline of the Holy Spirit in certain seasons. And uh, right back early in ministry, I remember a very specific time where the Lord challenged us about the words that were coming out of our mouths. And uh, you know how we can just get into them? We're a bit critical, we're moaning, we're groaning, we're, you know, and uh, we just got under such conviction about that that we challenged each other that if we heard each other saying something negative about a situation or about a person, we were allowed to say, stop, you're not allowed to say that. And it actually got very annoying because literally we couldn't get through a conversation without one of us going, stop, you're not allowed to say that. 
But the fact is, is that it sets something into our spirits and into our minds, into uh, just our, our discipline as Christians, that we wanted to watch what came out of our mouths. And it's something that has set us up for, for ministry. It's something that we still live and walk in the good of. And so this season feels a bit like that. It's another season where I feel like the Holy Spirit just uh, challenging me, particularly in the area of my heart. And uh, literally for, for months now, almost, well, the prayer that I prayed most for several months has been from Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Another great prayer to pray is from Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And you know, I find it really helpful to pray those prayers out loud. I don't just think them, I speak them. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God. And as I'm speaking, I'm believing that I'm literally creating an atmosphere in the spiritual realm where, where the Holy Spirit is able to come and answer that prayer. You know, and God never gives us a, a nebulous feeling of, of guilt or, or shame or condemnation. The Lord is so kind. If you pray a prayer like that, he'll be specific. And he'll put his finger on very specific things and you will know that he's speaking to you very clearly uh, and that, that from that point, You've got a choice to make as to how you act on it. And so literally over these uh, last few months, I've, I've allowed myself to come under the conviction, not condemnation, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit, where I found myself in times of deep repentance before the Lord. I look back in my journal where I've written and uh, you know, it keeps popping up. Lord, intervene in my heart. I'm not praying for situations to change necessarily. I'm not, changing, not praying for other people to change. I'm praying for my heart to be changed. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God. Now that's not because I'm walking in hideous areas of sin. But when you get a fresh revelation of the holiness and the purity of God, your senses are heightened and you, you, you know, things that maybe were acceptable before you started praying prayers like that suddenly are no longer. You know, you're so aware of the cobwebs and the dust and the dirt and the grime. And so just recently, I've been much more sensitive, just to put it into a very practical uh, reality, I've been so, so much more sensitive to the stuff that I'm watching on the television Things that, you know, maybe I would have kind of justified or thought acceptable, suddenly it isn't anymore. I've, I've activated 
the Holy Spirit in a new and a fresh way on the inside of me. And, I, and when I pray those prayers, I expect them to be answered. And so if I'm watching something or I'm reading something that is causing the Holy Spirit, causing Jesus on the inside to feel like he wants to turn the tables over, then I want to act on that. And so I'm turning the television off. If I see something that, you know, that entices me to read and then I, I see the headline and I'm like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read that. Just recently, Dave and I actually got up and walked out of the cinema uh, a few months ago. We went to see a film that all the critics were raving about. It was all over the media. We thought, oh, that looks quite interesting. Let's go. And uh, literally within minutes, we were like, oh my word, what is this? Now, I don't know, maybe last year we might have just sat out, gritted our teeth, felt a little bit uncomfortable, but, but we would have stayed. But not this time. Something of the holiness of God on the inside of us was just reacting, was calling out, was saying no. We literally had to get up and walk out. You know, let's not be desensitized to the things that grieve the Holy Spirit who's living on the inside of us. And the beautiful thing is, is that God gives us everything that we need for life and godliness in Christ. We're not trying to clean ourselves up. We're not trying to live better, work better, try and uh, make ourselves acceptable to God. It's not like that at all. We've already been given the Holy Spirit. We've already been given the power of the blood of Jesus. We already walk in the finished work of the cross. And so we have, we have the ability, we have the power to actually say no, to switch off some of those things. If we go back to Ephesians 4, verse 20 to 24. No, it just uh, reminds us again so helpfully. It says this, that however, the that being ungodly living, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. So another question, have we put off the old self? Is the orientation of our lives one of holiness, one of obedience, one of sacrifice without sin or compromise? Or are we living as if Jesus is an infrequent visitor rather than a resident friend. Now we can pray prayers like I've already mentioned, create in me a pure heart, but then we have to choose to act. We put off the old self, we turn away from our old lives, we repent, we say sorry, we choose not to go down those roads again. You know, can your family, friends, work colleagues, can they recognize Jesus in you by the words that you speak, by your character, by how you live your life? That's something that I want for me, is something I want for you, is something that I want for us as a church, that people who don't know Jesus can see him in us because they can tell that although we're in the world, we're not of the world. We're living, we've been called to something higher, something purer, something more beautiful, something more holy. We were bought with a very high price. So let's walk worthy of that calling.
Now, I loved what Phil shared a couple of weeks ago about dethroning the idols in our lives. And if we think about the passage in Ephesians 4, you know, he talked about money, sex, power. You know, it's all all there in that uh, passage that I read earlier on. So I'm going to ask you another question. Is there any sexual immorality, bitterness, malice, envy that we need to repent of and turn away from? Can we dare to be radical and make this season of prayer and fasting that's coming up soon a time where we are so intent on the things of God that we are going to allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts, examine our lives? So it's clear from scripture that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit now. God primarily resides in people and not in buildings. But I do still think that there's a place for us to examine the spaces in which we inhabit. inhabit. And so I want us just to briefly talk about purifying our homes. Now, when I talk about purifying our homes, I'm not talking about literally cleaning and dusting and hoovering and steam cleaning. Um, I'm talking about having a clear out of stuff that might be in our homes that is attracting ungodly influences, that may be having just influences on your spiritual life, on your uh, emotional well-being, and even on your physical health. I really believe that there are there are there are things that we can literally be having in our house and sometimes we don't even know it, but is attracting ungodly influences. So I just want to talk about that for a little bit. Now, it's a well-known fact that when we declutter, uh, it brings amazing psychological benefits. That is fact. And uh, personally, I don't like living with a lot of clutter. I, you know, if, there's, if I feel like there's too much stuff, I'm like, I just got to get it out. I got to have a clear out. And I was like that when I got back from holiday this year. And so literally for the last few uh, weeks, I've been trying to go room by room, sorting out kitchen drawers, sorting out the wardrobe, sorting out my office. The garage was the, the last bastion. And so, you know, it's feeling good. The house, the house is feeling nicely decluttered. But as I was doing that job, I was reminded of a time, again early in ministry, when the Lord challenged me to clear out and get rid of my whole entire music collection. Now for me, that was a massive, massive deal. Music has been a love of my life, and from very early on, um, I've always loved music. I mean, my uh, my earliest memories are are of... uh, being woken up in the night because my dad was playing his jazz music so loudly that it was literally vibrating through the walls and shaking the the bed that I was sleeping in. And so I have a love of jazz music. Uh, But then as I've grown, I've literally charted my life, uh, every season of my life through the music that I've listened to. And so we're not just talking about a music collection, we're talking about something that is inextricably part of my soul, my, my, my psyche. So when the Lord told me to get rid of all of my music collection, I was like, <gasps> I don't know when the Lord has ever said anything to you and you go, surely not that Lord. Like, I'll do anything, I'll do anything else, I'll go anywhere else, but please don't ask me to do that. Well, that was one of those moments. You know, we have the 
music is such a wonderful gift, isn't it? You know, we know the power and the pleasure behind music, the, the associations. We can hear, listen to a piece of music and it transports us immediately to a time, a place, a season, a person. And that was the problem. It wasn't about the music per se. It was about all the associations that went with it. And I was coming into a season of my life where the Lord was calling me to step in and step up into leading worship. And because music had such a, a, a hold on my life, some of it good, but there was something also, the associations, some of the associations to it were not so good. And that's why he challenged me to get rid of it. And so that night, through many tears, the whole lot went into the bin. And, uh, you know, I literally, I cried for hours, but I knew that it was for a higher purpose. You know, God doesn't ask us to do these things just because he's mean and he doesn't want us to have pleasure. Sometimes we're called to do these things for a higher purpose. And I had to trust that in being obedient to throwing that music away, that I would reap the fruit of it, the spiritual fruit of it as I led worship. Now, why am I telling you that story? Please don't leave this place thinking that I am telling you that God is telling you to throw away all your music. That is not what I'm saying at all. He may be telling some of you to, though, because you, like me, there may be just some very, very unhelpful associations to the music that you're listening to that is uh, attaching you to people, that is particularly if it's rooted in occult, and there's that, that some music has very strong uh, roots in occult. If there's anything of that, it can be bringing a heaviness, a depression, an oppression, a sense of darkness when you listen to it. So if that's you, then please do what I did and get rid of it. But for some of you, there may be other things. It might not be music. There may be books on your shelves. There may be DVDs. There may be magazines. There may be video games that you've been playing that have become addictive, that you know is drawing you away, that is drawing you down into a place that is not good, it is not godly, it's not pure, and it's not holy. So... Is there stuff in your home? You know, if you are looking at it, remember we're talking about looking at it through the lens of Jesus Christ. If Jesus standing in front of your bookshelf or wherever it may be, what's he thinking when he looks at some of that stuff? Is he happy at peace with that or is there something in him that is like wanting to turn the tables over because it's causing him a sense of righteous anger or, uh, or, or grief or sorrow? So my advice to you is if in doubt, throw it out. Only if it's yours to throw. Please don't go home today and start throwing out your teenage sons and daughters stuff without their permission, that would not be good. But if you know that the Lord is speaking to you about some stuff, please let's be radical. Let's go and have a really good clear out. What about stuff on your electronic devices? Are you watching stuff on, on there that actually you need to make obsolete? If so, press delete. Get rid of it. Say, I'm not having any more to do with this. I'm going to pray, create in me a pure heart, oh God, and then I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to put off the old self, and I'm going to choose to walk in a life of purity and godliness.
Now, I love the story in Acts uh, 19 where the Apostle Paul is doing extraordinary miracles in the name of Jesus. Handkerchiefs and aprons are being brought to him. The Apostle Paul is praying over them in Jesus' name. And they're being taken out into the highways and byways. People who are being sick are getting healed, literally, because the handkerchiefs are being placed on their physical bodies. There was such a sense of power and there was such a sense of awe. And so much so that the people who are actually practicing counterfeit supernatural power, first of all, they started to try and invoke the name of Jesus and that ended badly for them. So then they did the, what was, they should have done in the first place and they actually burned the stuff the, um, the, the, the uh, scrolls um, that they were practicing sorcery from. And so in Acts chapter 19 we read, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they'd done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burnt them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now, did you notice the order there? People were in awe of the name of Jesus. Why don't we just renew our sense of awe for the name and the person of Jesus who's living on the inside of us? Secondly, they confessed their sin. They repented. They turned away. And they acted, and they did it in a very public way. They publicly burnt their scrolls. And then they also counted the cost, because the scrolls actually cost quite a lot of money. But the end result of all of that was that the word of the Lord spread and grew in power. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that what we want? Wouldn't it be wonderful if during these next 20 days, 21 days as we enter into a season of prayer and fasting, that we would get rid of anything in our hearts or in our homes, just like the early converts in Ephesus did. They're like, we don't want any part of this. Let's get rid of this because we want the power and the presence and the glory of God to come and invade our hearts, our homes, our church. Wouldn't that be amazing if that's what happened? Wouldn't it be wonderful you know, if we are called to such a radical sense of godliness, not, not lukewarm religion, but radical godliness, that people who don't know Jesus Christ are suddenly hearing about signs and wonders because such is the presence of God that is being attracted into this place. Wouldn't that be amazing? You know, we are carriers of the glory of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful that as we just clean out our lives again, that just more of his presence would come? That's what I'm believing for. Wouldn't it be wonderful? People who don't know Jesus Christ, whether they're meeting us, whether they're coming into, their, into our gatherings, there is this sense of the manifest glory of God and that they could truly say, Jesus is in the house. Amen. Amen.